everyone. Today is the big day in America, inauguration. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> so we'll be mindful of that this evening. It will coincide with 7 p.m. tonight, so we can do some auspicious chanting. <clears throat> Dedicate the blessing. So <clears throat> although we're not able to really tune into that um, via the media network as most of the globe will be, I assume, today. It's a big day. A lot of energy around that. Uh, we can, um, in a way, this new presidency, in, in many ways, as an archetypal symbol, symbolizes you know, within the person of Barack Obama, many a sort of a more global personality, I think, which is an interesting emergence, rather than being perhaps so uh, identified with one cultural or ethnic background, religious background. He represents so many different pieces, of course, his father being from Kenya. Um, there's a Africa feels an affinity, and uh, being half white, half black, and then having an Indonesian stepfather and an Islamic middle name, in African first name. So it's an interesting uh, symbol for the world, I, I feel. And although um, there's a lot of hope and a lot of challenges. That, uh, that are being faced for all of us globally. I hope that although it seems like this being on retreat, we could be, uh, we are removed from the main stream of the consciousness, the worldly consciousness and what's going on. I hope that uh, my, my trust is that in this deeper practice where we're really going to the, the deeper heart uh, within which we're listening beyond our reactions and our views and our personality to the place where there's a, where there is a, a dissolving of distinction. That there's a possibility to, for us as retreatants, to to offer um, that more subtle holding, uh, and that it has a some kind of an effect. I feel that on some vibrational level, this practice of being present, the practice of mindfulness, is not without an effect in the larger world. It's not just we do it for ourselves. We're sitting here and it feels very much like a personal journey. But also, I do feel we sit for the world <laughs> in a certain kind of way. And the, the image that, that, um, that I feel 
represents this is the is the tree. When we look at a tree, you know, just standing there, it doesn't look like it does very much. It can't even move. It just is doing its thing, but it's performing a very important function in that it's it takes in the the carbon dioxide, the poisons that we actually can't breathe, and then transforms that into oxygen, energizes, oxygenates. And as we know, when, as we begin to cut down more and more trees, we're literally poisoning ourselves <laughs> with, <laughs> with the overflow of CO2 and so on. Um, and in some ways, I feel as meditators, we're a bit like a tree. We're not, people can look and say, well, you're not really doing very much. But as we really more deeply understand this anatta, this non-grasping mind, then we become a, a truer, a more pristine vehicle for the Dhamma and for this process of pur- purification, that which touches consciousness rather than the reaction and the perpetuation of grasping, greed, aversion, desire, lust. Uh, there is the ability for things to be transmuted, the poisons to be let go of, and then what's radiated out from the pure heart, from the unattached heart, the, is that is a vibration of, of uh, luminosity, peace, Mm. compassion. So though if we think about it from a self perspective, we think, oh God, I can't do anything. I'm not very peaceful. I'm not very compassionate. And if we translate everything from the perspective of the personality, then we're not going to feel we're ever going to be up for much. (laughs) Um, Or we might have a grandiose type of personality that can go out and save everyone, depending on what our particular pathology is. Um, so whenever we come from the personality level, then it's going to somehow be, there's going to be a distortion. But when we shift our perspective to the heart that's just aware and present to the heart within which the world arises, then there's a whole different dynamic that's operating. So I trust that all, although there's this big day happening, that our connection with it, you know, learning to rest more deeply, as Kitty Sai was suggesting last night, uh, in what remains, the heart that's just present, the listening, the knowing, uh, that that has you know, a blessing effect. The, the barak, the, the outer barak, barak of course meaning blessing, the outer barak doing his thing, and we're doing the subtle barak. <laughs> Subtle blessing, touching what arises with awareness, blesses, transforms, heals. Mm. So we're we're also in in a way moving much more into the heart of the practice, the heart of the retreat. Um, The subtler aspect. And, uh, but also bringing with us the work we've done before. So it's not you know, that we still c- 
continue and draw on the, the, the practice of gathering, the, the, the being with the breath, being with one breath at a time. This is our steadying point, being with how it is, using the vitaka, the question, to keep coming back what's present now and reminding ourselves to, to adjust our view or our approach or our perspective or our attitude in many ways, this, the forest school of Ajahn Chah wasn't so much focused on teaching meditation method or technique, but in a way focused a lot on what's called right view or view, attitude, approach. This is really, this is because when that's more embodied, that's transportable into every situation, whether it's peaceful and calm or whether it's hectic or... Whether it's going into Underberg or going back to our home life or going into a city or dealing with a project or whatever we're dealing with, when there's right view, then it's transportable. It's not dependent upon the circumstance being a certain way, the body being a certain way, the mind state being peaceful or clear. So establishing right view, we come back today to just this gentle reminder which, as I mentioned, was very present every day in our monastic training. This is how it is now. We work with how it is, how the body is, what we're feeling, um, and avoiding the tendency to project the ideal, the ideal retreat, the ideal meditation on ourselves, on on each other. This is who we are, warts and all. (laughs) This is how the weather is. And I have a lot of how it should be, because <laughs> it's summer and it's supposed to be sunny. <laughs> and it's sort of just this melting drizzle. It's not supposed to be like this here in the mountains. Mm-hmm. I have to remind myself this is how it is. <laughs> As I start creating suffering, I start thinking I'm back in County Mayo. <laughs> with the winter we had, which I don't think the fog lifted for a second. So, one day. One day. Oh, one day. You remember, we, we've got it burnt in our mind, that one sunny day. <laughs> After six months or something. So, and then being with the breath, Ajahn Chah, as we're with the breath, the, using the breath to steady, reflecting on the breath is teaching us this, um, this uh, impermanence, changeability, the breath changing, and then more subtly, the breath teaching us uh, the anatta, the selfless nature of the breath. We can't, another way of talking about anatta or, or, or non-self, which is always a very complex word. I find that in some ways it's not usually that helpful, it is helpful, but there's a certain way that we can pick it up and start um, tacking ourselves in a very unproductive way. But this, another perhaps um, helpful way to look at this notion is not having to, non-ownership or giving back to the Dhamma, what is the Dhamma. So the breath can also teach us that. It's something that's Sustaining us is intimate, we take the breath in. 
Uh, and to a certain extent we can even control the breath, we can soften it, we can slow it down, we can make it sharper, vitalizing, but we can't really uh, ultimately control the breath. We don't know how many breaths we'll have, one day there'll be the last breath. <laughs> but what we, so what we know is it's a gift, it's something that arises, it sustains, it nourishes, it's not not there, it's there, but it's also, it's, it's anatta in that it's empty of self-ownership, it's empty of something that we can own. In this way, the, be- the breath can teach us about the nature of, of all of the khandhas, the feelings, the thoughts, the body sensation, the ideas, the insights, even the peace has this same nature. It's there, it might be nourishing, it might be challenging, it might be invigorating. It's a structure that may support us, but then it's empty. The empty, 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 not just in terms of insubstantial, but another way of understanding emptiness that the Buddha taught is it's empty of what's called avijja, it's empty of ignorance, it's empty of the tendency to identify, to grasp, to own, to claim. The fundamental ignoring the nature of reality, the not knowing the nature of reality, the fundamental assumptions that we make, the ownership that we create around the flow and changing nature of the khandhas. So when we, when we see, when we can really see from this place of mindfulness, clarity, discernment, the flowing, insubstantial changeability, then what we're actually touching is the Dhamma touching the, the Dhamma as it's changing and unfolding, the nature of things, it's nature that's teaching us, teaching us all the time. Sajjan Chah is saying everything teaching us. When we're not coming from vijja, from knowing, from seeing, from insight, but the opposite, avijja, the, the assumptions uh, about reality, this is me, this is mine, then what we generate is not, we don't see the Dhamma anymore, we generate this experience of samsara that was read about in that very powerful quote last night. It's endless, we can never quite get there, and it's never quite enough, that sort of feeling that at the base of samsara is this feeling of unsatisfactoriness, thirsting, needing to keep treading the wheel until we get weary enough. So being with the breath, bringing the breath to steady, being the breath to allow it to inform us, to really notice it changing, the changeability. Uh, Being with the breath to help us let go, uh, to enjoy it the moment as it arises, to let it go. And then in that moment to, to taste, to begin to get the sense of what is it like to not have to hold on so tightly, to have to control so much. What is it like to let things be, to let things flow? Get a taste of the the heart or the mind that's just present. Ajahn Chah was walking once with his disciples and he 
he pointed to a whole pile of huge boulders and he pointed to the biggest one and he said, is that heavy, that boulder? And they said, oh yes, Lumpur, very, very heavy, that's very, very heavy. And he said, well, it's not if you don't pick it up. <laughs> yeah, so this third noble truth that we're, we're contemplating, this niroda, in some ways it's, it's looking at what boulders have we picked up that, that weigh us down. And we feel very guilty. I, I can't really put this boulder down because I'm so responsible. Even when actually we have permission here on this map, we only really have to be responsible for very small things at the moment, maybe making the meal, sweeping a place, or, you know, so, but we still carry all the things. So we get into this habit of, of carrying the world upon our shoulders. And then we wonder, why do I feel so burdened? So stress. So in this retreat, in the heart of this retreat, yes, the world will come soon enough. I promise you, it will all come flooding back in, and we'll be hooked up, and you know, and then we'll, within a day or two, we'll be wishing we were back on retreat. <laughs> Even if we're sitting Hatton here now, wishing we were home, it's how it works. To take the opportunity to deepen this investigation, what can I actually, the boulders in our pockets of the mind, can we just let them be? We don't have to crush them to dust, you know, we don't have to destroy them. We can just, you know, just put them down, let them be where they are. I think probably we can assume that the world will be okay without us for a few more weeks. That every, you know, should be able to manage without us saving everything and (laughs) sorting it all out. (laughs) That our our friends and family and, you know, everyone hopefully will be able to be okay. Um, Yeah, so... So this today, in terms of practice, really encourage this uh, this in, inquiry, you know, deepening our inquiry into these four truths. If there's struggle, just to explore, just to, to rather than, you know, this is how it is again, rather than judging, oh God, I should be more peaceful. We just turn to that and say, what is, what's perpetuating, what's generating? And usually, as Ajahn Chah well, used to bring the teachings to very simple, a very simple but, simple but profound premise, usually there's something operating saying, it shouldn't be like this, it should be another way. I don't want what is and I want it another way. So it's not necessarily the painful knee that's the problem or the, the, the emotion of grief that's the problem uh, or feeling you know, whatever we're feeling that's the problem. It's usually, it's not necessarily pleasant to be with, but it's usually what generates the dukkha that's been talked about is the reaction. It's the, 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 the desire for it to not be there, the judgment, the repression, the the overwhelm, the grasping, the identification, basically the identification, the the picking up of the boulder. 
So we can, and as we notice, then we just soften, using the breath to soften a bit more deeply into this is how it is, using the samadhi, softening, easeful in the midst of the, the push and the pull, the very, very profound sankara or shaping in the psyche, psychologically, genetically, at a cellular level, this very profound push and pull in the moment, around the moment. The pushing away, the trying to move away, and the being drawn in. So this, we replace as we begin to get a sense for this stability of the mindfulness, the, 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 the heart that's just knowing, attentive, present, we replace that reactivity the, the, with this, with the moment of just knowing this is how it is now. It's like this. So why they call mindfulness the flood stopper, stops the flood of that bawa dunha, that becoming, seeking, looking for, moving on to the next thing. And it starts to, as we replace and establish that moment of mindfulness again with the breath, with the body, this is how it is with right view. Contemplating, we can maybe begin to get a sense of what is it to just let go of those tendencies. And we might hit another layer of, well, if I'm, if I'm just here, not creating anything, doing anything, becoming anything, then I'm a nobody. <laughs> you know, and, you know, so when we come into the contemplation of the third noble truth, there's, there's a very profound territory to negotiate. From the, it's easy, it sounds like we'll just let go. And it is, and in essence it's easy, but usually the territory that we negotiate in the process of letting go is quite layered. It brings up anxiety, or just be a, an enlightened cucumber, you know, just cold and non-responsive and, you know, I won't know what to do. Or it can bring up anxiety, fear, I don't know who I'll be. You know, because I, I've been so shaped around my desires, that's who I've been all my life. I am what I do, what I become, and then suddenly I have this suggestion that, you know, if I let go of that, I won't know who I am. So we have a sort of existential anguish that can come up. And then we start thinking, well, who am I? Am I? You know, tell me, tell me. <laughs> you know, ambivalence will come up which is difficult to hold, but again, rather than rushing to, in a way, we're moving from, from a really a more rigid and defended self-structure, which is defined by these, these uh, energies of the khandhas that are generated through the, the, the tanhas, the, uh, the becoming, the aversions, the wanting, the not wanting. It's not that any of that, we're not judging it, we're just releasing a little out of those structures and we're, we're experiencing more fluidity, less rigidity. It can be a little like the ground perhaps isn't so sure. 
This is where, again, the mindfulness becomes the important, you know, if we, if we keep trying to make our ground on the, on the thought or the feeling, it's very fragile, but if we make our ground on the moment of just knowing, mindfulness, revert, reverting, returning back into that which is listening, that which is present, that which is just knowing how it is, then we find the stability, the ground. So in this third noble truth, it's also noticing, you know, some, Ajahn Sumedha would talk about, you know, we, we notice where we struggle a lot. We can really feel alive in our struggles, in our suffering. <laughs> um, but we don't really notice when we're peaceful, because we can get very bored with it. You, know, we get, you can have moments of peacefulness, nothing much happening. We think, yeah, but I've got to go now and dig around for some deep problem to work on, you know, some unresolved issue, or I've got to go and... So it's, it's almost being able to tolerate the non-becoming, the unborn, the peaceful, um, and to get a, a taste for it, to get a sense for it. So also noticing in the Third Noble Truth, we notice non-struggle, non-suffering, peacefulness. And Jen Smeda would talk about it's a bit like noticing the space. This is an analogy also for the, the, the unborn mind, what's called the uh, Anadasana Vinyana, the consciousness that's not dependent upon just, just self-emergent consciousness, just the brightness, luminosity, peacefulness unboundedness, the unattached, unidentified awareness. So as an analogy, you say it's a bit like noticing space. And we come into a room and we notice, well, there's, there's, there's Andrew and there's Alice and there's Jacqueline, there's Matt, there's Corbett, there's Jeannie, there's Vanessa, there's Annie, there's Kitty Sires, there's Timmy there's not Jack today. Jack was, we looked up and went, no, <laughs> not coming down for a talk. So we notice that, and then we have all, you know, the personalities, this one's like that, that one's like that, you know, or the colors or the shapes, or, but we don't really notice the space it's happening in, you know. Uh, so the first, or one way of contemplating this third noble truth is to begin to actually, uh, you know, when we come, come into a room, you know, even not focusing so much with the eyes on one object, but even holding the eyes a bit more softly, what's called an undifferentiated gaze. So when I hold the eyes, I can actually see the whole room. I'm not, when I focus in on one object or one person, the focusing on an object creates a very strong sense of subject, a sense of me in relationship to the object. And there we have differentiation. We have the sense of the duality, there's me and you and the whole thing. So, you know, moments of when I soften, literally soften the gaze and I sense the space, then there's a sort of a, I'm aware of there's space here as well. There's forms, but there's space. And it softens the sense of the inner constellation of the self that rises up in response to the outer object behind the sense door, 
me in here and you out there. And it, and it becomes what's called a more undifferentiated consciousness, a more unified awareness. I can feel. And this, in a way, is also getting inducting. Uh, the awareness can discern objects, the mindfulness can discern objects, which is what Vipassana does, but also mindfulness can begin to, to turn back and discern the nature of awareness itself, get the sense of something that's more spacious. Okay, there's objects, if you like, within objects of sense, thought, feeling, which feels so, we're so stuck to, they keep shaping the sense of I'm this and I'm that and I'm that. And then we can also get the sense of it's happening within a space, it's happening within awareness. So another method that can help to get a sense for this third noble truth is uh, what's called labeling, which can be very effective. So, you know, rather than like, oh my God, here I am thinking again and going off. Well, I'm, really, I'm really feeling, I really feel, uh, I really feel unsure. I really feel wobbly today. Or I really uh, can't wait to get out there and get going on something. Um, I'm really li- sort of wistful, wondering what's happening back home longing. There's a strong, when those feelings which will come up, strong sense of the identification, the me, the shaping, being shaped by them, the labeling can just say, this, this is thinking, this is feeling, this is wistful feeling, this is longing. And it just gives that, there's a Ken Wilber says in his work, what is very subjective, what feels like me, and I'm stuck to it, becomes an object to the contemplation, to the awareness. So then we can reflect, oh yes, worry is like this, it's a dhamma, rather than I'm worried. Or anxiety is like this. And so the mindfulness, the awareness can contemplate the dhamma of becoming, the dhamma of aversion, the Dhamma of discontent, the Dhamma of peace, the feeling of moving to identify, the Dhamma of a painful body. One doesn't want to do it like a machine gun, you know, just to keep everything away. Because, you know, sometimes one can do that method with, a, with aversion to not wanting to feel contact. It's just pain. pain, 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 pain. <laughs> yeah, but it is very helpful. It unsticks us as a method. But there's also a place when there is enough steadiness of heart, you know, when there is enough mindfulness as capacity, that sometimes it's okay to actually be with particularly levels of what may come up in our meditation, the deeper level of sankhara patterns, programs, that there's a space sometimes that we don't usually have in our daily life to be with levels of dislocation, pain, things that are unhealed that might come up to visit us. And if that's our work for the day, that's what our work for the day we can still practice with that, but we're not denying 
We might just be, as Ajahn Sumer would say, hanging out with the orphans of consciousness, those things that come up, those pains, the, the mind, the heart that's just fretting, upset, worrying. Some indefinable feeling tone that's been there a lot in life, but you can't really get a handle on it, but it just feels murky or uh, something, you just say, okay, I can actually just be with this, not with this discernment, not in the discernment it's pushing away, but just knowing it's like this, breathing with it, noting it. And in this way, we, we're, we're being like that tree, we're allowing those, if that's what's happening, we're allowing those unhealed places to be processed through the the aware heart that's just present with so that they can be released, let go of. The awareness will let go. We, we don't let go as a strategy. When it's re- ready, when there's ripe, things will... we can release from them. So noticing spaciousness, noticing peacefulness, having moments of saying rather than being the thinker, because that's the most, Kilisai was talking about the maker of marks last night, which is this tendency to the Pali word papancha. So when we understand papancha, we really get an insight into this uh, nibbana element. Because it's papancha that's really the the, the, the subtle creator, uh, designator of time, of self, of here, of their location. So, so being able to have even a moment of just seeing a thought as a thought rather than a whole, you know, something we have to totally invest in, our whole energy in and become. Is very powerful. So the moments of being able to label thinking. And then as we hear that and label thinking, just also again noticing what is noticing, that which is just aware, the spaciousness, presence. And then another today just as if one wants to explore methods to help unveil, if you like, uh, this insight into the Third Noble Truth. is a teaching that the the Buddha gave. The teaching arose in a very interesting way. There was a a story where um, the Buddha was out on alms round and this person came up to him called Bahia and said, uh, you know, Lord Buddha, please give me a teaching. And life is very short. Please give me a Dhamma teaching. And the Buddha said, no, Bahia, I'm on arms around. This isn't the right moment to, to ask a, a Tathagata for a teaching. Wait, wait. And Bahia said a second time, no, but uh, Venerable Sir, life is very short. Please give me a Dhamma teaching. 
And the Buddha again said, no, no, uh, I'm on arms round, you know, this isn't the right moment, you know, wait until later. But Bahia was very insistent. He said, no, Venerable Sir, life is very short. (laughs) Please teach me the Dhamma. And apparently if you ask three times uh, to a Buddha, they can't refuse. They have to, I don't know quite what that's about, but I guess it means you're really sincere, you really want to know. And so the Buddha turned around and he gave a teaching, but the, the pith of the teaching that we can contemplate today was that uh, Bahia, uh, in the seen is just the seen, in the heard is just the heard, in the sensed is just the sensed, and in the cognized is just the cognized. Contemplate thus. And uh, Bahia, apparently on hearing this, was awakened, walked down the road, was gored by a cow, or bull and died. <laughs> so, so he clearly knew, had a premonition. That, yeah, he didn't have a lot of time, but he was known as the one that most uh, quickly awakened, right? quickly got the teaching, something like that. Anyway, but this this uh, this essence of this teaching that the Buddha gave to Bahia is also is a as a way of of unhooking from the papancha of the mind, the proliferation of the mind. The, you know, that we can sit here and have one thought. I wonder how JP is doing in India. And the next thing, poof, we have three billion thoughts about India, about JP, about the time I was there, about I'd like to go back, I've planned my whole thing, my next pilgrimage along the Ganges and what books I need and who I need to contact, you know. And it's just like, poof, like that, you know. It's just, that's, that's papancha. It's just like one little thing will come up and the next thing the whole world is created with you of course in the middle of it <laughs> you know the the, the, the the hero the star or the the victim or the whatever we however we cast ourselves in the in the midst of the the creation of the mind so so these methods are really it's very powerful it's why they call the veil of mara because it's like veils the vicha the seeing we can't see anything, we just become shaped and then we live it out. If, if, if you know, we make that choice or, it, or sometimes it's not even a choice, we just get compelled. So this moments of breaking the fascination, the seduction of papancha in the scene is just the scene. So we, this is easier sometimes in nature than with people because we have a lot of sanya perception reactivity around the perception of people. So we, we can just practice when we're looking and we're just seeing what's there or we're adding to it. So I was saying the other day, we seeing the projection of the mind that's going, oh yes, I love that kind of tree and it's so beautiful. Now I like that oak tree, now it's got its leaves on. In the winter, it's not so nice, it's a bit barren. And it'd be nice to plant some more oak <laughs> trees. And when can I do that? And God, the retreat's going, you can get an insight into my mind. <laughs> retreat's going on, and with the rainy season, I've got to get the planting in. And can I just whiz off after lunch one day? And, but in the seeing, it's just, <laughs> you know, there's just seeing. It's just seeing, you know, the, the shape, the color, the perception of just seeing. In the hearing, it's just the heard. That's, that's quite tricky. We, you know, on a Friday night when all the cars, people come up from Durban and they go to their timeshares down the road. I just 
just listening. God, so many cars. There didn't used to be so many cars. When the road, before the road was paved, it was nice. No one came here. And now they're going to build and they're going to develop Underberg and it's going to be hectic and we're going to have to put more trees and I'm back to the tree story again and, you know, and down to the nursery to get the trees and how long do they take to grow? And Okay, and the herd is just, <laughs> you know, it's just hearing the sound. It arises and passes, arises and passes. And in the, in the sensed, in the, in, the, in the felt, in the smelt, in the tasted, Food, you know, the food is a big one, isn't it? Can I just taste the taste now? In case I was saying the other day, get get on to the next. <laughs> oh, that's great! It's potatoes, great. I love potatoes, you know. Like, I hope it's a bit, you know, they're so big now. Actually, one one pretty much does it. These big baked potatoes we're getting, but usually my mind is, oh yeah, so get back to some second helping, and can't taste the. So in the moment, there's just that. Just the sen- in the sensation, as we were looking at, I like that sensation. So peaceful. I want more of it. I want more of it giving rise to that greed. I want more of it. I don't like that sensation. Painful, 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 giving rise to aversion. In the sensation is just the sensation. But more subtly and most profoundly, what uh, the Buddha was pointing in his teaching to Bahia, in the cognized, in the thought, is just thought. And we have moments of emptying the thought, emptying the thought of our investment, of our self, of our, you know, the whole being shaped by, emptying the thought of identification. And the thought is just Dhamma, the Dhamma, the Dhamma of this thought. It's not necessarily my thought. I can make it so and act on it and create. That is a choice that we do and uh, we can do it skillfully or unskillfully. But for this meditation, this insight into the Third Noble Truth, into the what's called the Amata Dhamma, the Deathless Dhamma, the, the Nibbana Dhatu, the Nibbana element, the non-created, We get to taste in moments, as Kalisar was pointing to last night, when there's the relinquishment of grasping, the niroda, cessation of grasping. The thing's still moving, but the cessation of moving with, we get to taste moments of what remains, what's present, the suchness. The Tathagata, that which isn't going, that which isn't coming, that which just is here and now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharma Seed dot org slash donate.